You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Midland, Texas. Redeemer Church is a gospel-centered missional family. If you would like to get more information or donate to this ministry, please visit www.redeemermidland.org. Good morning. Welcome to Redeemer. Glad that you're here. How many of you noticed something different in the room? If you're new to Redeemer, we're a portable church, meaning we don't uh, own this building. We rent it and set up every Sunday morning, tear down every afternoon, and also means about once a year, uh, there's a big production that the school puts on, uh, much like this week, they're putting on Fiddler on the Roof, and so you have some uh, extra risers in the room. So uh, if you're walking in, you can still find a seat, but when you're kind of walking around, just don't look surprised, uh, because then we know who does not read our emails Just warning, fair warning. Uh, Romans chapter 13. Uh, We are back in Romans. We're only going to cover a few short verses uh, today, but just very, very honestly, these are some of the most simple things and yet really the most profound uh, truth that that could literally change the world. Uh, I'm not saying my sermon will be that way. It could be a total bomb. But the actual truth that we're going to be preaching, it's so simple and so incredibly powerful uh, that it has the potential, which is the point of the gospel through Christ, to change the world. So Romans chapter 13, we're going to be looking at uh, verses 8 through 10, and uh, over the next few weeks, we're going to be finishing out the book of Romans. Uh, One of the things I love that I get to hear quite a bit is we have new people coming uh, every single week. We have started new community groups every month for six years now, I believe. Uh, One of the things I hear often about why people like coming to Redeemer and what they've come to enjoy is that we teach the Bible. Uh, And it's kind of sad how rare that is, Um, but we just love to walk through the Bible. I want you to know how to study it and where uh, what we preach uh, comes from. So uh, we'll be finishing up the book of Romans here in the next few weeks. Uh, but for today, uh, Romans 13, 8 through 10, most powerful, simple message. If you are there, say ready. And if you don't have a Bible, it's here on the screen for you as well. Romans 13, the Apostle Paul, th- the Holy Spirit through him says this, Owe no one anything. Except to love each other, for the one who loves has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, uh, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, and you shall not covet. And any other commandment, they're summed up with this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, and therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Uh, about 12 years ago, when Hannah and I started having kids, we had our first uh, child. It was a son. And at that point in time, we were expert parents. Uh, we knew a lot of things. We knew everything. We probably knew much more than we do today uh, and uh, thought everything would be very easy. And I've since then kind of processed through uh, having children, and I've separated things up into a couple different phases uh, that I want to share a little bit with you. Uh, phase one, I just called it sweet bliss. Uh, Relatively, things were fairly easy. There were some diaper explosions here and there and some sleepless nights. But uh, beyond that, it was just kind of a fun, easy season having a baby. Uh, And then phase two, uh, we titled Let the Sin Begin. Uh, When they get old enough to start sinning, I remember the very first time that Judah, my oldest son, was in his high chair, and he had some uh, green peas on the tray, uh, and he grabbed a handful, and then he just looked straight at me. And then he just held it over the edge. And I said, don't do it. Don't do it. And then he just like just dropped it and flipped me off with the other hand. I'm just kidding. 
It's like he, he knew exactly what he was not supposed to do and just absolutely, completely, purposefully defied me. And I thought, oh, no, here it goes. Uh, let the sin begin. Uh, phase three is what we uh, call the parents begin making rules phase. Um, so when you realize they're going to do some things wrong on purpose. So you have to start making rules, okay? Uh, the rule number one, don't throw your food onto the floor. Uh, don't, don't bite your mother. Don't bite your father. The kind of the rules begin. Uh, and then phase four uh, is the kids and their sin begin to grow. Uh, they start doing more things. Maybe there's a lie here. Maybe they hit someone. Maybe they bite someone. Maybe they uh, do something out of anger. And as the kid grows, the sin grows. And so what's the next phase? More rules. You have to. You can't just say don't throw your food on the floor. Uh, now there's a new rule. You need to tell the truth. Uh, you need to not hit people when you're angry. You need to not um, uh, not lie. Make sure you finish your dinner. Uh, and then phase five. You realize as a parent, there's just simply not enough rules. You just simply cannot make up uh, enough rules for every possible situation. Uh, this is a true story. So we tell our kids. Okay, rule one, wash your hands. Okay, that's just important. You need to wash your hands. You need to try to stay healthy. Uh, and then you tell them don't touch certain things. And when you go in the bathroom, make sure that you wash. Like you get all these rules. And then all of a sudden, uh, one of the siblings comes out and they're like, uh, Hudson licked the doorknob in Allsup's in Lubbock on Thanksgiving Day, m- biggest travel day in the nation during COVID. And we're like, like we just never would have thought to create a rule, don't lick the doorknob at Allsup's. Because there, it's just impossible, and if you're, you're a parent, you know this, it's absolutely impossible to foresee every situation and try to make a rule that fits uh, every possible scenario. So phase six is like you realize as a parent, okay, w- w- rules are important, but now we need to shift our energy to teach our kids how to love. Because if they can figure out how to love, which is kind of the point of the rules, then we don't have to figure out every single scenario, like love and wisdom, if we can teach our kids love and wisdom, then uh, really that will answer the question for every little gray area and scenario that they hit. Uh, so phase six is that you teach them how to love. You try to show them, listen, that's the point of the rules anyway. So now we're going to put our effort into trying to teach you how to love. And then phase seven is like, well, how do you teach them how to love? We use what, what we just read in Romans that we in our culture often call the golden rule. Where here's the best way to love. If you don't know how to, how to behave or how to respond, treat other people, how? As you want them to treat you. So then you shift into, okay, I'm going to teach you how to love, and here's the best way to do it. In every scenario, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And then phase eight, this is a long phase. This spans like 16 to 18 years. Uh, It's basically trying to teach them how to love the neighbor as the self, and you realize that as a parent, you have a long way to go in this as well. And that is how you parent. You are welcome. If you, if you back up and look through the journey of, of God and his people through the Old Testament, you see something very similar take place. Uh, he puts humanity into the world, and f- from Adam and Eve all the way for many, many, many generations up until Moses, there's no written law, there's no commandments, there's no rules. What you have is growing and increasing sin and destruction. 
Because sin was present, it, uh, it showed itself, it reared its ugly head first in the garden and then grew progressively and quickly uh, until God decided, we've got to get some rules and some parameters around this. Um, so you see that he sends Moses up to the mountain, mountain, and he comes down with some tablets and he gives the Ten Commands. Here are some things to do and not to do. And then you find out that after he gives the initial commands, he keeps adding to them. In uh, the Old Testament, you get upwards of 615 different laws um, that give a little bit more detail and color to the original 10, trying to steer his people away from sin and destruction and back towards love. And then Jesus shows up on the scene, and he's basically trying to help us understand what the rules and the commands and the laws were all about. So Jesus comes to help us understand what true love actually is so that we might not just follow the rules and obey God's commands, but understand the heart behind them uh, and learn to love. Uh, So he starts here in verse 8 saying, Owe no one anything except to love each other. He's talking about putting uh, into the hearts of believers this kind of perpetual, constant debt of love. And the Bible talks a lot about debt, right? Normally, it's not encouraged. It's not a good thing. It's like the slave, the, 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 the borrower's slave to the lender. You need to be careful not to uh, get into debt. Just uh, normally speaks of it as a financially uh, not the most wise decision. Um, but here, this is the only time I can find in the Bible that debt is encouraged. It says you need to position yourself like you're in debt uh, to love one another and spend the rest of your life radically trying to climb out of debt, trying to pay love forward. Uh, so I want to talk for a few minutes about what Paul means when he says that, that love is actually what fulfills the law. This is verse 8, and if I could rephrase that a little bit, Paul says that love fulfills the law. Uh, another way to say that would be that uh, love actually accomplishes the purpose of the law. The reason that God has given us laws, the reason that parents give uh, rules to kids, uh, that reason is, is, is the purpose is accomplished um, through love. Because sometimes you can keep the letter of the law and miss the heart of the law, right? Like you do everything, you didn't break any laws, you didn't break any rules, but you didn't uh, do what the laws were supposed to do. We kept the law in, in letter, but we missed the purpose of it. We, you could do it without love, and, and the Pharisees are a case study on this. Uh, I, I think, if, if we're honest, you put any one of us up next to one of the Pharisees in the first century, uh, this was a, a religious group of people that uh, they, they loved the law. Their identity was in the law. They knew the law. They obeyed the law externally. Uh, it would be very, very difficult uh, for us to be put up next to them and win the law battle because they went down to tithing out of their spice drawers and getting out uh, the balance scales and making sure that a 10% of their uh, mint went to the church. How many of y'all did that this morning? No? You're like, well, I went through my tea. I had 10 tea bags, so I brought one and I donated it to the church. That's what they were like. They were so focused on the law that they would probably put us to shame. And Jesus is like, you guys missed the entire point. You kept the letter of the law better than anybody, and you don't love anybody. You don't love God. You don't love people. You kept the letter, and you absolutely missed the purpose. So what is the purpose of the law? Uh, True story. The Pharisees kept the letter of the law of the Sabbath. They wouldn't travel. They wouldn't work. They came up with a whole bunch of extra rules to make sure that they did not 
on paper violate the Sabbath. But you find out, well, the purpose of the Sabbath is actually to learn to love God more. And they didn't use it that way. Um, they had never killed anybody. They'd never committed murder until Jesus comes in and says, well, it's actually uh, deeper than that. And if you've ever hated anyone or not loved someone, then you're guilty of the same thing. So they uh, were incredibly good at fulfilling the letter of the law and missing the purpose of the law. Um, true story from the Hatch Kids, this comes from phase five of parenting, when you realize you just can't make up enough rules for the foreseeable uh, options. Uh, told one of my sons, uh, he will rename nameless, uh, the rule became, don't punch your sister, okay? We did fine for a day or two, and then we had to add another rule, uh, don't throw anything at your sister. No lie, the next day, he had thrown something at his sister that punched his sister. He had an action figure. I think it was a Buzz Lightyear. And so he like wound up the arm and tossed it over there. So Buzz is actually the one that punched his sister. He's like, I didn't throw anything at my sister. I didn't punch my sister. I threw something that punched my sister. And I thought, dang, he got me on a technicality. I never would have seen that coming. I never would have come up with a rule. Don't throw things that punch your sister. Um, so we shift into, okay, you need to learn. I can't make enough rules. You need to learn to love your sister. You need to learn to do unto your sister what you want her or anybody else to do to you because the purpose of don't hit your sister, don't punch your sister was for you to learn to treat her well, not to find another way to harm her, right? The Pharisees, they come to Jesus. This is in Matthew 22. You can turn in your Bible or it's here uh, on the screen as well. Matthew chapter 22, verse 35, it says, And one of them, a lawyer, or some of your Bibles, your version actually says, an expert in the law. They had been trained to know and understand all of the Old Testament laws. They were, uh, it, was, it was a lawyer that comes to Jesus. One of them, a lawyer, asked him, Jesus, a question to test him. He didn't ask him this question to get information. He asked them this question because he hated Jesus, didn't like him, wanted to get rid of him, so thought if he can throw some kind of trick question that catches Jesus where he says something wrong, then they can get him out of the way. And here's the question. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And there's hundreds and he, Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all of the law and the prophets. What is he saying? Hundreds and hundreds of laws. What's the purpose? To teach us how to love God and love others. And if we learn how to love God and love others, then we have fulfilled the law. We have accomplished the entire purpose of the commands that God has given us. And so Jesus gives them a very simple and yet incredibly profound answer where he sums up a few hundred commands and to love God and love people. And it's an easy answer for Jesus because he understands the purpose of the law. 
Like, that's an easy question if your kid comes to you as a parent and says, hey, what's the most important rule? You say, learn to love your sister and brother because you know the purpose behind the laws, behind the rules. And so he, he goes through, and we're going to follow through four of these examples that, uh, that, that Paul gives us, uh, four of the Ten Commandments where he tries to show that the purpose of these commands was to teach us how to love. Uh, there's a, a misconception in Christianity especially in the West, where it, if people feel like Christianity is this, it's just a whole bunch of rules. And so when people want to become a Christian, maybe they're curious about it, uh, they see it as just a list. If I want to be a Christian, then I need, there's a list of things I need to do and things I need to not do. It's all about rules. It's a very legalistic mentality of what Christianity is. And Jesus, like that, that's the position the Pharisees came at this. Like it's all about rules. We need to know the rules. We need to follow the letter of the rules. And Jesus is like, no, it's not all about rules. It's all about love. And the rules are what point us towards knowing how to love God and love people. And so he, he says first adultery, all right? Paul says uh, that uh, the, the full the fulfillment of the law is love just like adultery. So adultery, and if you walk into Christianity thinking it's, it's legalistic, just full of rules of things to do and not to do, like, oh my gosh, it says I can't commit adultery. Like, is that just something we're supposed to check off the box? And Paul would say, no, this is actually teaching us how to love. If you love your spouse and love somebody else's spouse, then you will not commit adultery. It's trying to teach us how to love. Right, adultery is driven by uh, passion, it's driven by uh, the flesh. It is not ever driven by love. Paul's saying what's behind that command is love, and then he moves on to murder. Uh, murder is not just simply about uh, not killing someone, it's about trying to teach us how to love. Uh, murder is often driven by anger, obviously, not by love. And then he uses uh, the next one, steal. You think, gosh, if I'm a Christian, I can't even steal? Like, that's even a law? Yeah, it, it is. But, and and what, what drives stealing, what drives theft is normally selfishness, uh, and it's not driven by love. If you love someone, you just won't simply steal their things. Uh, and then he talks about coveting. Uh, talks about coveting, which there's, there's two sides to, to coveting. When the Bible talks about coveting, when one of the Ten Commandments says, thou shalt not covet, it's not simply wanting something that someone else has. It's not wanting them to have it also. So they get a raise. It's not that you wanted their raise. It's that you're a little bit bitter that they got a raise that you deserved. It's not just that you wanted a family like them or a marriage like them or kids like them or a car like them or a house like them. It's that you want it and you don't want them to have it. You're angry and bitter and you can't celebrate with them. So what is the heart behind don't covet? Is it just that we learn to uh, be satisfied with what we have? No, I think that's part of it. But it's about learning to love other people, to, to actually be willing to celebrate when somebody gets a, a job that you didn't or a raise that you haven't or a family that you don't have or health that you want or looks that you want. It's, it's teaching us how to truly love other people. And then Paul says, and any other commandment, that's his way of saying all of the commandments are designed to teach us 
how to love. Let's walk through a couple of them. Don't lie. Why? It's not a loving thing to do. Don't lie to your friends. Don't lie to your kids. Don't lie to your neighbors. Don't lie to your, on your taxes. Don't lie because it's not a, a loving thing to do. Uh, honor your father and mother. That's the way that we express love uh, is by obeying. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If we're learning to love our parents, we'll honor them. Uh, no idols. Uh, if we're really trying to love God with all of our mind, soul, heart, and strength, it's hard to do that and have other things that we have set up that have a portion of our heart as well. So this isn't just like, well, I don't have uh, an idol, a graven image uh, over my TV on the mantle. Well, the, the purpose of that law isn't to just kind of think about idols, it's to truly give God our entire heart and to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Uh, you shall have no other gods before me. Why? Because we're supposed to love God fully. Uh, remember the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath. And the Pharisees, again, were experts at keeping the letter of the law, but they never took the Sabbath to sit down and to reflect on how good God had been to them, how much blessings they had, and how they can rest in the gospel and love God more. That's the purpose behind the Sabbath. He also says, uh, don't use the, the name of the Lord in vain. Don't misuse God's name. Why? Because that's not loving towards God. So Paul is saying like every command, all the commands, the purpose behind them is for us to love one another. And how did Jesus fulfill it? Because we talk often, and, and I, I caught this for the first time honestly this week. We talk often about Jesus' perfection. That Jesus was perfect, he was holy, he never violated the law, he never disobeyed a command, he obeyed every command he was given, and we talk about it a lot in relation to obedience, right? And, and I think that's true, but after pondering this a little bit this week, I realized like th the reason Jesus perfectly obeyed the law is not because he's just good at obedience, it's because he perfectly loves. Is he good at obedience? Yeah, but he is the definition of love, and so when he loves others, he simultaneously fulfills every single command. The heart behind Jesus' obedience is that he is the definition of love. He's good at it. He's good at obeying, yes, but he's really good at loving. Therefore, he fulfills the commands. So if this, like, again, this is the most basic of all commands in the Bible, love your neighbor as yourself. Yet, if we could figure this out, if human beings did this, how many of your problems and your wounds would just disappear overnight? It's like this, some of the most simple things are some of the most difficult things to actually do. So, Paul says all of the laws are summed up in this. Love your neighbor as yourself. And the way that we do that is to try to, in a sense, pay it forward. And I, I want to spend a minute just talking about why this is so hard. If this is such a simple thing that could revolutionize the world, if everybody on planet Earth or everybody in this room or everybody in your home or everybody in your marriage could just simply treat other people like they want to be treated, virtually most of our problems would go away. But why is it so hard? Why do we have such a difficult time treating other people the way we want to be treated, I would propose two things um, that are deep in our nature that have to be rooted out uh, by the gospel and replaced by Jesus. Number one, what we naturally do to others is what we think they deserve. Amen? Not because we should. You're like, I don't know, that's a tricky one. That, that's just kind of how we operate. We, we would rather give to others what they deserve. 
That, that's our first challenge. The second challenge is oftentimes we want to treat other people the way we have been treated. I mean, this whole phrase has come up that hurt people hurt people. Like if we've been hurt, we have a tendency to treat other people not how we want to be treated, but in, in fact how we've been treated. And that's how the world operates. We, we give people what we perceive they deserve or we treat them how we have been treated. And that's how you get some of the hurt and the problem and the chaos that's taking place in our world. That's why this is such a simple and revolutionary way to love. But here's the problem. Like I, if we're honest, if we're like way, way deep down into the recesses of our heart and we're honest, I think that we would say we probably treat people uh, as we perceive they deserve or the way we've been treated much more than we treat people how we want to be treated because that's so incredibly difficult because you have to absorb a lot of pain and abuse. You just have to take it for the team. If you have been treated poorly, the gut response is like, well, I, have, I, I, have to, I have to pay this forward, whether it's conscious or not. It's so difficult to just endure that and treat somebody not the way that they deserve and not how we have been treated, but how we would want to be treated. Have you ever watched kids play on a playground? You want to understand the fall of man, that's your, that's your place. Because I guarantee you this is not what happens. When you have two five-year-olds playing, one of them punches the other one in the face, he doesn't turn around and say, uh, bless you. I want to treat you as I want to be treated. No. What does he do? What's in his nature? I'm going to give you back what I got. And then if that happens enough, they become an angry kid that punches everybody else because they are giving what they, this is radically counter to our nature countercultural to love our neighbor as ourself. So how in the world is this possible? If you want to give someone something that they do not deserve and just simply absorb the abuse, the misunderstanding, the sin that's been given towards you, just take one for the team and go do something good for someone else. You've been treated poorly, but you pay good forward. Like, like how, honestly, theologically and practically, how is that possible? Uh, I would propose, and I want to read to you from uh, 1 John, that we need to learn to love. If that fulfills all the commands, the Bible's not about rules. It has a lot of rules, but the purpose of those is love, and the way that we love mainly is to treat others as we want to be treated. Then the person who figured this out and modeled it the best, outside of Jesus, is the Apostle John. Okay, the Apostle John was one of the 12 disciples. Uh, he was one of Jesus' inner three uh, disciples that he spent, Jesus spent more time uh, with these three. And he is called the disciple of love. He is, he's known as the love guy. Like when he, this is, a, this is church history, it's not in the Bible, but uh, he lived, he was the only disciple that would live to a, a really old age, uh, potentially in his 80s. Um, they, they tried to martyr him, they tried to kill him, they boiled him alive in oil uh, when he was uh, exiled on the island of Patmos and he survived uh, to come back and uh, live quite a few years, probably in Ephesus, helping lead the church in Ephesus that you read about in Ephesians. And what people knew about John is that when he was old, he, some 
sometimes they would allow him to preach, uh, and he would need some help getting up uh, onto the stage or the podium or whatever it might have been. Uh, and they, he, was, he was, I'm sure, bent over, maybe a cane, and, and they knew that if he got to the podium, he was only going to say one thing and repeat it over and over. They thought he was crazy. He was actually just consistent. This was the message he would preach, love one another. They, and this, this is, if you read about this from Polycarp, he says, like, he would just say, love one another, love one another. If you've done this, you've done it all. Love one another, love one another. That's the only message he had. Have you read First John? It's repetitive. I mean, the whole thing, it's just like every other sentence, all he says is just love one another. He's known as the disciple who figured this out probably more than anyone else. How? If we're going to love others truly as much as we love ourselves, then I think the pathway for us to do that is the same pathway that the Apostle John took. And you find this gem tucked away in 1 John chapter 4. This is what drove John to be able to love others as much as he loved himself. He didn't have to give them what they deserved. And he didn't have to treat them like he had been treated. Just such a small, seven words, and it's incredibly profound. Paul says this, we love. So Paul, like, this is why I am the apostle of love. This is why I've set such an incredible example. This is why we as a church and as Christians are called to love. We love because he first loved us. What he's saying is that Jesus was the first domino to fall. So if you tell me, Jason, you just, you're just going to have to love a lot of people. You're going to have to absorb a lot. You're going to have to do a lot. And you're going to have to give some love where it's not earned. And maybe the, you're not drawing from your experience tank. The first person to do that has to be incredibly uh, gracious and loving. And so Jesus is the, is the one that absolutely perfectly did not treat us the way we deserve to be treated, did not treat us the way he was treated. He absorbed all of the abuse, all of the sin against him, and gave nothing but good to us. Nobody knew him better than his best friend, the Apostle John, and John. the love that Jesus gave to John was so life-changing, it allowed John to pay it forward. Okay, that's how you truly can love very difficult people. That's how you can love if you have been deeply wounded because Jesus has loved you that way. So our love is responsive, but it's responsive to the way Jesus has loved us, not the way other people have loved or failed to love us. That, that's, that, uh, to me this week, that has been incredibly profound. If you're going to fulfill all the commands and love, you're going to have to pull from the reservoir of Christ's love towards you. And a few things and I'm done. Just how profound of a change that would make. Because in marriage, what tends to happen is if a, a, a husband or wife sins against the other person, then you've created this kind of domino effect where you just kind of treat each other the way that you've been treated. And that's what leads a lot of marriages to a lot of difficulty and sin. Uh, friends, same way. Coworkers, the same way. So could you imagine how revolutionary this would be if we embrace the love of Jesus, like truly, he's loved us beyond what we deserve, well beyond what we deserve. He absorbed the sin 
couple things. Uh, one, I, I think gossip would just be over. I mean, gossip is a huge problem in our culture. Well, what fixes gossip? Well, I'll tell you this. I don't like it when people gossip about me. <laughs> it hurts. I don't like it. And so the, 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 the challenge for me is, okay, well, I don't like it. Well, I, 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 I'm not going to do it to somebody else because I want to treat them the way I want to be. This would end gossip forever if we loved our neighbor as ourselves. What about slander? How many of you have ever been slandered? One? <laughs> Man, <laughs> you got better jobs and coworkers and friends than I do, I guess. Some of you are like, well, it's a toxic culture. No. Uh, slander. Like, it, it would fix slander if we truly loved others and did not what they deserve and not how we've been slandered against, but just simply how we want to be treated. Uh, forgiveness. Uh, people maybe struggle with forgiveness. Truly struggle to forgive someone who has sinned against you. True love, if you embrace what Christ has done for us, then you get to give forgiveness when it's not earned and you haven't received it maybe from others. That would change a lot of relationships maybe in your, uh, in your sphere. Patience, uh, much more patient with people when we realize the depth of the patience that Christ has had with us. Kindness, it's easier to show kindness when we realize um, that, Christ has, that Christ has been uh, kind to us in the gospel. So this is what this is what Paul is saying back to Romans chapter 13. Owe no one anything. Don't don't, don't like there's this one specific debt that he invites us into except to love each other for the one who loves who has learned truly to treat other people as we want to be treated has fulfilled the entire law. That is the most simple, basic thing. That's what we teach our two-year-olds. Treat people the way that you want to be treated. And I would make the case that's the, probably the lesson I need to think about daily if I'm going to walk through my life as a representation of Christ in the world. So I want to invite you where you are. Bow your head. Close your eyes. And very personally this morning, uh, I would really invite you to ask the Holy Spirit to kind of filter through your heart. Maybe ask some difficult questions about uh, places in your life where you haven't loved the way Jesus has and uh, for Jesus to change you enough to uh, love others as, as much as we truly do love ourselves. And maybe for the first time, you've never truly embraced um, the love that Christ has for you, that he died uh, in your place, that he has extended uh, grace and forgiveness and mercy all at, at his expense so you need to embrace that maybe this morning. Let's pray together. Jesus, we, we love you. We praise you. We thank you. Uh, G- Jesus, you're truly at the epicenter, at ground zero of this massive movement of love because you were the first one to completely give perfect love where it was ill-deserved. And Father, I pray that this would not just simply be a theological thing that we understand, but but a very practical way that we truly love our neighbors as we love ourselves. I pray that your spirit might fill up our hearts and our souls so that we can do some things that are truly impossible to do without your spirit's help. 
God, I pray that uh, as the world looks upon us as a church, that they would uh, truly know that we're your disciples by the love that we have for one another. That we would be, like truly be so changed by Jesus, we, our love would catch the world off guard. Help us to be that kind of people, that kind of church. You've loved us so well, and that we love because you, Jesus, first loved us. So I pray that you would change us by your spirit. And I pray this through your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Church. If you want to connect with us at Redeemer, we would love for you to visit us at a service in person or visit us online at www.redeemermidland.org.